Let's do that hockey. Welcome to Dauber Prospects Report, a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. This is report number 44. I'm Victor Nuno, one of the co-hosts here. And with me is Peter Harling. How are you doing, Pete? Victor Nuno. I'm doing really well, man. How about you? I'm doing really well, too. Yeah, I'm excited to turn our attention to the 2024 draft. That's what we're going to talk about today. But also, it's Super Bowl week, and my favorite team that I only care about when they're good is in the Super Bowl. So <laughs> I'm excited about that. I'm sorry, I just fell asleep. You're talking, you're talking football? I, I, I just fell asleep there for a second. Yeah, and poor Evan. I'm sorry, Evan, that my <laughs> Niners had to beat your team to get there. Ah, sucks. Honestly, I would have been fine if the Lions made it. You know, I was kind of resigned to that after the first half. I was like, good for them. You know, like they deserve it. Um, of course, I'm happy my team's going, but I would have been cool with it as well. Funny, all the Red Wings podcasts I listened to this week started off the same way. Started off with Lions talk. So <laughs> there you go. Back to the well, wings. Yeah. Turn our attention back to hockey like we're going to do here. And this episode is brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network and DraftKings. Follow at HockeyPodNet for more great hockey podcasts. You can use our DraftKings promo code THPN for listening to the show. More on that in a bit. And we are also probably sponsored by Fantrax, the ultimate league manager for all your dynasty sports you play. It is completely customizable for however you want to set up your league from scoring categories, an amazing draft room to host the draft, draft pick trading, and a treasury option, plus so much more. Use our promo code to sign up for a free league using the link Fantrax.com forward slash DPR show. Now, moving on to the content, what we decided to do this time is to turn our attention to the draft. And I know a lot of us, as we just start getting getting our attention turned a little bit, you know, we may not be too into what's going on. Looking at the rankings, Bob McKenzie, the Bob father, has put out his list. A lot of people are putting their lists out. I think we just want to talk a little bit about some guys, where they are on these lists, and how they're in real life value compares to your fantasy value because you know that isn't always equal so we're going to try to have a little bit of discussion about that is that right pete yeah that sounds great a dollar prospects one of the articles that i put out each year is fantasy ranking the draft that's coming up and right now we're working on a big project the organizational rankings but the fantasy ranking the draft will be coming out shortly thereafter uh once we get a little bit closer to the to the season maybe during the playoffs that's a really good time for it to come out as you start to get closer to your league's conclusion, and if you know you're at the bottom of the standings, it might it might give you a, a modicum of solace that you have someone like Macklin Celebrini to look forward to as a potential for your draft lottery. So, so that's something that's exciting to look forward to that's coming up. And there's a little bit of sneak preview of that basically in the midseason Dauber report. If you managed to pick up a copy of that, I contributed my top twenty fantasy ranking for the coming draft so that's something you can look at it's a mid-season ranking so it'll the order will will change slightly as we get a little bit closer to the the end of the season as players play more games and we gather more data but that's kind of kind of what we're going to the theme of what we'll be talking about today so enough jibber jabber and setup let's get into it yeah pitter patter let's get at her huh to be fair to be fair to be fair to be fair we know that in real life rankings differ. And so we're going to try and hopefully set the stage for that a little bit. And like, as Pete said, give you some idea of what those first round picks are going to be like. If you're trying to jockey for position or trading them, you know, you can understand what you're kind of hoping for. So with that said, we're each going to talk about a few of these guys and then 
have the other person give a little bit of a take. So I started with a couple of both pretty highly drafted guys. We're not going to talk about Celebrini because, I mean, I think we kind of all know about him. He's amazing. If you have the first overall pick, you're taking him. And there's not much mystery there. Boring. So beyond that, there are some pretty interesting guys. There are a lot of defensemen, but I'm going to start with the forwards because they're two pretty interesting forwards. And one of them is Iman, Ivan Demidov and Hayden Lidstrom. And so these two guys, I think, couldn't be more different in some sense. Like they are both going to be taken probably in the top 10. I mean, Demidov has the Russian factor. So it might be a little bit interesting where he goes. He's consolidated EP at number two. He's McKenzie's number six and is ranked as low as seven by McKean's, but most outlets have him at two or three. So he's pretty highly ranked and he's a pretty old for this draft class, I would say. December 10th birthday, he's already 18. He's a 5'11", 170 pound right wing center. I think he's definitely more of a wing in the NHL. So you're looking at a at a slightly undersized, really creative, dynamic, playmaking, and goal scoring winger. He can he can really do both. He he's good at both. He's got a lot of dynamic skill. He's tearing up the MHL right now, which is a very difficult league to scout because some of the teams there are just bad. But he has what I would say is a monumental upside. So maybe some less certainty in terms of when he comes over and you know which team takes him might have something to do with that. But it, juxtapose him with Caden Lindstrom, who is six foot four, 215 pounds, huge. He's a February birthday. He just turned 18. He's been injured for a while, but he's going to be back soon in the next week or two. Plays for Medicine Hat. He's tearing up the WHL and he's consolidated number four and has ranks as low as he's got a couple of threes in there and some 14s, some, some 10. So a little bit later in some ranks. But I have a feeling that come draft day, Caden Lindstrom is going to be a top five pick for sure because he's one of the only centers. He's the the biggest and most complete package. He kind of does a little bit of everything. And those guys tend to not last very long on draft day. They tend to get taken. So I'm not saying here that Caden Lindstrom is going to be a bad fantasy asset because I think of all the players in this draft, other than Celebrini, he probably has the most likelihood to be a 1C. And that's worth a lot, you know? Top line, top power play, getting lots of minutes. He also, you know, is big and throws the body a little bit. Good for shots. So pretty decent multi-category. But on the other hand, I don't think the points upside is quite there like some other players. So he might end up just being a good middle six center. And that isn't worth quite as much. So between these two, for fantasy reasons, I would take Ivan Demidov all day. His hockey prospecting equivalency is up there with like Jack Hughes, Jack Eichel, Wayne Gretzky, you know, those kind of guys. It's basically the top one percentile. That doesn't mean he's going to hit all that, but he looks absolutely incredible. And maybe there's a little bit more risk just in terms of, you know, what he ends up being. There's been a couple, only one or two guys that look like Ivan Demidov that haven't panned out to be superstars. So it's pretty likely that he will be. But, you know, there's maybe some risk there just in terms of when he comes over. But I think Lindstrom is probably going to be taken sooner. And I would pass on him to take Demidov beat. What do you think about all that? Yeah, I think you're on the right track there. And like you said, Demidov's ranked second overall. And in my fantasy rankings, I had him in the midseason. I had him second as well. Caleb Lindstrom is ranked fourth on, on both the consensus and the midseason rankings. 
I mean, Lindstrom's a pretty nice consolation prize, but and even if you're in a multi-cat league, that you know, you'd give the edge to Lindstrom if you're counting all the peripheral stats as well, perhaps. But I still go with Demidov. I just think that his offensive production and his star probability and the impact he can have and his trade value will be so high that I think he kind of even when you throw in the the peripheral stats with Lindstrom, it's it's still a, a slam dunk for Demidov, really. So I think they'll both be top five picks. I'd like to think that Demidov in the NHL draft would actually go before Lidstrom, but it wouldn't blow me away because of the Russian factor if and Lidstrom's size and his position if if he ends up actually being drafted sooner than Demidov. But and I'm not sure what the what the ETA contract status wise is for Demidov off the top of my head. I don't remember. You know, the only hurdle at Lidstrom's way to making the NHL is is his own development. When as soon as he's ready to go, you know, he's got a green light and doesn't have any geopolitical, contractual, or other issues hindering him from joining an NHL roster. So even if the wait time for Demidov's longer and he doesn't have the peripherals, it's still Demidov, like you said, all day long. So I would just say that I would be shocked if Demidov went ahead of him. I'm not disagreeing that the talent is higher, but big, you know, skilled centers tend to go sooner. Because they have more value to an NHL team. Wingers always tend to fall, even if they have super high upside. I mean, look at, he has a similar profile to like Kaprizov. And, you know, he went like in the third round, you know, Kucherov, those kinds of guys. That doesn't happen as much anymore, but they still tend to fall towards the latter half, the middle to latter, you know, half of the top 10 or 15. So, and that's a good thing for you in your fantasy pool, because if he falls to 8, 9, 10, 11, that's awesome because then people are going to be like, oh, he must not be that good. And then you you can take him with the top five fantasy pick and be laughing when he's point per game player. So I was just looking up online. I don't see any information about that. Oh, I'm sorry. He has a contract until through next season, 24-25. So he's not locked in super long. It's not nah. like the Meechkov situation where you had three years after the draft. So the issue will be next year if he signs an extension, that could be bad. But at this point, the weight could be much less than Caden Lindstrom. Uh, and so that's that's a good thing. All right. So my first comp pairs, I'm going to go with Anton Siliev and Ziv Bouillon. So I'm going on the blue line with these two. And so let's start with Bouillon. He's the 10th ranked consensus player in the draft. And I ranked him eighth on the midseason fantasy ranking. He's put up 34 points in 25 games as a freshman at the NCAA with Denver U. His longest pointless streak this season has been two games. He hasn't gone more than two games back to back without scoring at least a point. And he also made it to the World Juniors and scored five points in seven games with USA en route to their triumphant gold medal. Now, Siliev is playing in the KHL which is very impressive for a sub 18 year old. And he's been playing prime minutes with his team as well. Torpedo, which is, which is really, really impressive. And unfortunately, because of the Russian war with Ukraine, we didn't get to see them at the world juniors, which would have been sweet, but he's ranked fifth overall on the consensus rankings and my fantasy rankings for the midseason rankings. I had him at 11th. So I dropped him down quite a bit in fantasy rankings. 
And he's got 33 points through 55 games this season in the KHL. And if you recall, Victor, there was a lot of buzz about him early in the season, the 17-year-old playing in the KHL, playing 20 minutes a game, and he was scoring very well right out of the gate. He had uh, six of his 11 points in the first six games. And so he's kind of really hit the wall since then. And last season, I looked at his stats last year as well, playing in the MHL, a, a level below, in his D-1 season, he had eight points in 42 MHL games. So, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little in love with Siliev with his skating ability and his size. The guy's a giant. He's six foot seven, 207 pounds, and he's not, he's not even 18 years old yet. He's 17.8. But I, I, I'm, I haven't seen a lot of him play. I'm just not, not sure that he's got fantasy offensive upside that makes me scream top 10 pick. And then you look at Zeev Booyam, who has, you know, a point of game production is doing, you know, record setting things as a freshman at the at the NCAA level. Look at some of their their comps on hockey prospecting. The star probability for Siliev is 15% compared to Booyam's 73%. And the probabilities of them being NHLers is a little bit closer with 52 to 81. So Zeev Booyam is is kicking his butt on Byron Byron's hockey prospecting chart here. The comparables are also better for Zeev as well. His his comparables are favorable with Cam York, Valamaki, Evan Bouchard. Whereas you look at Siliev's and his best comps are Nick Sealer and Matt Bartowski. So you know you look at Siliev and he's ranked fifth. So much better than Zeev Williams' 10th. Zeev Booyam is trending up really hard. Uh, he's charging up the, the charts there on a lot of people's rankings. And I wouldn't be surprised if we end up seeing him well and well established inside the, the top 10 by the end of the season. So he's closing the gap there. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Siliev is, here's his name called first at the Sphere in Vegas. But if it's my pick in the draft, and it's a fantasy draft, and I got to pick between either one of these guys. I think I'm going with Zeev Booyam all day long. What do you think about that? Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. And I was interested, so I looked up the best de- uh, defenseman, 17, 18-year-old seasons in the NCAA for draft-eligible players, and Zeev Booyam currently is on pace for the eighth best ever. He's currently outpacing Brian Leach. He's outpacing what Lade Hunter did last year, which was insane. And some other names on this list, you might recognize Ron Wilson, who was a head coach for a long time. He's a little bit higher on this list. We'll see other guys I haven't heard of except Don Waddell. But current, the, best, the best number is 1.94 points per game. That's insane. That was in 1964. But basically, before Hudson did it this past year, it was Brian Leach. So that's the mark. All these other guys are in the 70s, 80s, or 60s. So Zeev Booyam doing historic things at the NCAA. I think it is worth noting, though, that Denver team is insane. And they score a lot. So, you know, that doesn't mean that he's not good. But he's probably getting a few more points than maybe he deserves just because the team scores a lot. And other players who might be really good who aren't scoring quite as much, don't look as impressive. But I still agree with you that Zeev is, is amazing. I mean, what he did at the U20, at the 
world junior championship as a draft eligible was crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. he was relied upon in big time, big leverage situations. He did not look out of place. He thrived That's... on both sides of the puck too, with, with yeah. and without the puck. Like it wasn't just when the puck was on his stick that you noticed him, you know, he was making really good defensive plays too. Yeah. And people were talking about, Oh, this American defense core is a little bit undersized and you know, he's only six foot 180 pounds, but he didn't look like he was like, that didn't bother him at all. Like he was pushing guys off pucks. He was, you know, physical when needed to be not overly physical, but he used his, his size and leverage really well. And he can skate and he makes really great smart plays. So I definitely think that Z William is going to be a really good two way defenseman. He, and he, and he certainly is the kind that should run a power play. So I think, you know, if you have a, a top five to top 10 pick, William would be the way to go. I also remember talking with some of my AP ringside colleagues. They were talking about Siliev and how he kind of lucked into some of his points early on in the season that some of them were like deflections or secondary assists. So not terribly surprising that some of his production has dried up. In fact, I think someone even called that like some of these points are going to go away. That doesn't that doesn't take away from the other things you said, like he's he's huge and he skates really well. But I think the other part is that, is he really offensively dynamic? Does he have like that big playmaking ability? And I don't think that's the case for Siliev. So he's going to play because he's got the size and mobility. But is he going to put up a lot of points? I don't think so. So definitely would go Bouillon there. Agree. All right. Your next pair is another couple of defensemen. And I'm really interested to hear about your, what your take on, on these two are. So I'll turn it back to you for these, for this. Yeah, and I think we've said it, we'll we'll say it many more times. This year is the year to get defensemen in your draft, if you want. You know, like, not going to argue if you're taking Demidov or Celebrini, but, you know, probably if you have a pretty high pick, you should be looking at one of the great defensemen in this draft because there's, there's 8 to 10 really solid defensemen. And two of the ones that I'm going to talk about, we talked a little bit, Sam Dickinson, Zane Preck on previous podcasts. These are the two that I'm going to pit against each other. So Dickinson is the one who's ranked higher by the consolidated. He's third by the consolidated ranks. Bob McKenzie has him at seven. There's also some ranks of him as as, as low as eight. And a couple places have him second. So I think McKean's has him second. Dr. Prospects actually has Dickinson third. So kind of a range there between two and eight, but mostly in that three to five range, I would say for Sam Dickinson. Most people, I don't think there's a consensus on what the who the best defenseman is, but I think most people, if you ask, they would say it's Sam Dickinson. And I think he is probably the one most likely to have his name called first on draft day, just because, well, he's North American and sometimes there's a bias there, but he is, you know, big. He's six foot three, 194 pounds. He's a left shot, if that matters. Sometimes they prefer right right shots, but just really solid all around. We've talked about him. We heard got Wheeler talk about Sam Dickinson. Just, you know, really good skater, like all around, can can contribute offense. And there, there really aren't a whole lot of holes in Sam Dickinson's game. And I think for a lot of teams, if you're picking in the top five to ten, you don't want a bust. You want someone who's going to, you know, but and I think Sam Dickinson is going to play like he's going to be an NHLer for sure, like middle pairing, probably at worst and maybe run a power play. The other guy, Zane Parekh, maybe there's a little bit more risk with Parekh's game. He is a little bit smaller, six foot, 181 pounds. And he's a right shot, if that matters to some people. The consolidated rank him has him at nine. He's as low as 17, which is 
McKean's and as high as four. Darwin Prospects has him at four. And there's some other ranks in there, seven, nine. So basically between four and, oh, I'm sorry, I missed it, 21. Tony Ferrari has him at 21. Wow, that's really late. So between four and 21, huge range there for Perec. So I think that is emblematic too. There's a wide range of opinions. There's people saying, you know, he doesn't play defense to his defense is passable. I asked Scott Wheeler that question last week. And I think, you know, he basically gave the answer that he, he defends pretty well for the most part, you know, with his stick. And, you know, he'll be probably closer to average to decent defensively. He's no Ryan Merkley. So you're not worried about that kind of blow up. And when you look at the hockey prospect in between these two, I mean, it's not even close. Same Perec has 84% chance of star potential and 89% chance of being an NHLer. Basically, his comps are, we talked about Brian Leach, Cam Fowler, Ray Bork. I mean, these are like superstars, the Hall of Famers. That's the mostly the comps that you get with Zane Preck. And sure, is it possible that doesn't work out? Yeah, it's possible. I think you have to talk a little bit about the system that they play in Saginaw. He plays for Saginaw, if I didn't mention that. We talked a little bit about that last week. And you got to see this live, Pete. They play a fun, sort of moving all around, rover kind of style. And I think that really helps him, you know, because that that is, you know, whether that's his style or not, I think he he really leans into that. And if people forget, Pavel Minchukov was in that system for a couple of years, and that seemed to really help him as well. So, you know, he could be in that mold, another really strong candidate. I think the the difference between this two is that there's probably a little bit more risk with a, with a Parekh pick, just because he's not as likely to just be a for sure NHLer. Like, it's possible that he you know, is sort of like a tweener or like a bottom pairing top power play kind of guy or a bottom pairing middle pair, middle second power play kind of guy. But I think there's a really strong likelihood that he's just a second pairing top power play because he's good enough defensively and his offense is dynamic and exceptional. Whereas Dickinson is going to play and he'll put up some decent counting stats, but I don't think that he's going to have many seasons above 40 points, you know, 40 point pace, which is, you know, just kind of decent, but not amazing. So. To me, there's no question. I would take Parekh, and I would consider taking Parekh with a top five pick in this draft because I think he's that exceptional. I think, for me, I haven't made my rankings left but I, yet, but I'm thinking, you know, probably Celebrini, Demidoff, and then I think Parekh is in that conversation to go three or four or five um, just because his offense is so, so exceptional. I know that we like to joke, Pete, that you hate the D, but uh, what do you think about that assertion? Well, this is a this is a great comparison these two players kind of similar to the Demidov versus Kate Lindstrom I think you're right correct for fantasy purposes he's the number one defenseman in this in this class I had him ranked sixth in the fantasy rankings overall and I had Dickinson 10th so a little bit further behind I think when you're looking at taking Zane Parekh with a top five or third overall pick it's a it's a pretty bold pick because he's kind of a little bit of boomer bust, right? Like his defensive game isn't Ryan Merkley bad, not even close, but it's not a strength to his game either, right? His offensive vision and his, his skating ability, those really pop. Those really stand out at the junior level. I haven't seen enough. I've seen him live one time. He didn't play last year when he came through Kingston. He was injured. So I've only seen him play live once and i've seen him on tv a couple times he looks great and i've seen a lot of highlights and the highlights are fantastic 
But will that translate at the pro level? And will it translate at the NHL level? The defense gets a lot tougher the further up the food chain you go. And so if that dries up, it doesn't really bring anything else to the table. So there's a bit of a boom or bust factor there. Whereas as Dickinson is, you know, he's very, he, he brings everything. His tool bag is full. His, his offensive punch isn't as dynamic as Perex, not even close, but it's translatable. And even if it, even if it's underwhelming at the NHL level, if it's like average, he's still going to get lots of minutes because he's, he's, he's big. He's good defensively. He can hit. He's got good size. His skating is an asset. Like Dickinson is going to play. He's going to get a lot of minutes and he's going to check off a bunch of stat categories for your fantasy league. And you'll play for a long time too. Correct. Not so sure about all of those factors with him, but if he hits, he is going to be like Cal McCarr when he was good. So there's that. So what's your appetite for, for risk when it comes to that high of a pick on, on this player, I think is what it boils down to. The fantasy team is, is in a rebuild and you got a lot of picks and you got a couple of prospects in your system already that are great. Sure. Swing for the fences, go for a home run with correct. But you know, if you're starting like literally from scratch and this is your first pick and your prospect pool is bleak and barren, then I would, I would maybe go with a little bit more of a reliable pick overall with, with my first pick between Perek or Dickinson. I, I think I'd maybe want to go with something that's a little bit more sure, a little bit more secure and has a better foundation for, for my team and my rebuild. What do you think about that? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that you have to take into account what type of GM you are and your team. Is your prospect pool made up of a bunch of boom busts? Well, that's probably not a great idea. You know, you, you have to, have some security, you have to have, you know, some risk, but it can't all be, you can't, you can't be all one or the other, right? You can't all be all hit safe players and you can't be all boom bust. You have to have some guys with upside and some guys that are a little bit safer. So I tend to think that some of the guys with safer floors are easier to acquire. And some of the guys that are, you know, a little bit higher upside tend to be a little bit harder to acquire. So I would probably lean towards taking the swing on a guy like Perek. But I could understand, you know, having the security of someone like Dickinson in your in your pool and just knowing that that guy's going to play. It also kind of depends on the format of the league. There are some leagues that reward things like ice time. I'm in a league that has time on ice as a category. Well, he's going to play a lot. So, you know, that could be a reason to maybe favor Dickinson a little bit. So it probably depends slightly on the format, but for most leagues that are, you know, more points heavy power play points, then I, I think I would probably just take the swing on Perek. And, you know, if it ends up not working out as well, then I would just, you know, try to find, try to try to fill that hole a different way, basically. Right. Light the lamps with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, well, let's talk about another couple defensemen. My next pairing is 2D, and these are options that you're going to find a little bit later in the draft. So it'll be interesting to see how the safe pick versus swing for the fences comes up in this situation. So the two players are going to be Henry Muse, who's playing in the OHL with the Ottawa 67s, and Cole Hudson, who's playing with the national team. So starting with Muse, he's ranked 24th on the consensus rankings. He did not make my top 20 for the midseason guide fantasy rankings. 
He does have 40 points through 44 games. I think he's got a pretty high floor, but a little bit lower of a ceiling between the two. And we talked about Henry Muse a little bit on the last episode with Scott. And, you know, we both we both were on the same page where we were talking about how we had a little bit higher expectations for him after his rookie season in the OHL coming into his draft year. Not that he's played poorly in his draft year, but I, I just think some other players have have passed him in my expectations in the depth chart. And he's kind of slid down the draft rankings a little bit. His star probability is 16% and his NHL probability is, is 60. His comps are pretty rangy. You got Adam Fox as a star comp for him. And then you've got other options like Keith Ballard, Philip Hironik, and Seth Jones. So overall, pretty, pretty favorable comps for him, I would say. And then you look at player we're comparing him to, which is Cole Hudson. Yes, Lane's younger brother. He's ranked 29th overall in the consensus, so a little bit further down. And I actually, he cracked my top 20. He was the 20th ranked player in the midseason fantasy rankings. He is putting up 29 points through 37 games uh, with the national team. And he plays a pretty similar style to his brother. And they're pretty similar in stature as well. He has he has outpaced Lane in their D minus one seasons. So what he did last year was better than what Lane Hudson did in his D minus one. And then they flipped the script in their draft year, and Lane Hudson uh, had a little bit better production than what Cole's putting up this year in his draft year. Cole is going to follow his brother into the NCAA and play with Boston University next season. Not sure they're going to play together. I wouldn't be surprised if Lane graduates and moves on to the NHL, but the lure of playing one more season in NCAA with his brother could be pretty tempting. So Cole Hudson's star probability is is 29% and his NHL probability is 68%. So he's slightly ahead of Muse on Byron's charts there. His comp is Oleg Tavardoski. I don't know if you remember him, Victor, back in the day. Arizona Coyotes defenseman. Oh yeah, I remember him in the with the Ducks. Right? Yeah. Was it? Did he play for both? He played for a couple teams. I'm not sure. I just remember him playing for the Ducks. Yeah, as a long time. So, anyways, this is this is another example of a player like Henry Muse, who I think is a little bit more projectable to the NHL, is a little bit safer of a pick. Will probably get you a little bit more in the in the multi cat variety categories, or then you could go with Cole Hudson who has a little bit less probability to play in the NHL, I think. Not according to Byron, but in my opinion, I think he's he's all offense, right? So if he's not scoring, then he doesn't bring anything else and he won't play in the NHL. But if he does, it's because he's scoring a lot. So that's pretty tempting. So in this type of range, you know, late in the first round or maybe even a second round kind of category for these two guys, Maybe you've already got a pick or two under your belt if you're rebuilding. This might be a situation where I kind of swing for the fences and go with Cole. Also, I think, you know, Lane Hudson is such he's got such trade value in fantasy hockey right now. There's so much buzz and media about him and you see the highlight reels and he's just he's a sexy player to have rostered on your fantasy team. And you could probably trade him for a pretty significant return right now. And so someone who wants Lane Hudson might be pretty, pretty persuadable into overpaying for Cole Hudson if you end up drafting him before them. So there's, I think there's some trade 
trade commodity attached to this file as well. Where these players all end up getting drafted in the NHL will, will factor huge into this as well, which, of course, we don't know what that it's going to be at this time. But the team that picks them, like if Cole Hudson gets ended up drafted by, I don't know, Arizona or Edmonton, then I'm, I'm less interested. So between Henry Muse, Victor, and Cole Hudson, who do you who would you go with there if you're picking like 20th overall? Would you would you go for the the upside with Hudson or would you go for the reliability with Muse? I'm going Hudson all day, every day. I mean, I every, everything you said, I I agree with. I I do think that you have to keep in mind to some extent the name value and the Hudsons are going to have big name value, right? I mean, what Lane ends up doing and you know, as he transitions to professional hockey and just how high people are seeing his upside, I think they're going to want a piece of that. And I think that you probably should, too. And that isn't always the right answer. I mean, there are definitely brothers that you're just like, they're not the same. And, you know, the upside right, isn't Gretzky. even. And I was also thinking, like, just more recently, Willie Nylander and Alex Nylander, right? Like, Alex Nylander is a pretty good hockey player but he's nothing like he's not anywhere near his brother right like he's clearly there's a difference there and actually i remember asking hottie about this and he gave a really excellent nuanced answer between the two and i can't even remember all the differences because he was so exceptional at kind of teasing out how they're different but they are different players obviously and they have skills and deficiencies in different areas but basically i do think that there's similar upside here with cole in terms of the dynamic playmaking, he is definitely a smaller defenseman, but I think in some ways his skating is better than his brother's was at this stage. And I think you also have to keep in mind the age. So Muse is, is not a super early birthday. He's a March 9th, but Cole is a June 28th birthday. And that means that just means he has so much runway to grow and develop and you're getting him super raw. I mean, he's playing this entire season in the U18s as a 17 year old that's super impressive and you also mentioned the peripherals i was kind of surprised to see this but cole hudson has over almost a hit and a quarter per game and almost a block per game so his peripheral coverage isn't too bad for what he's playing he's playing 1840 time on ice at the usntdp he doesn't shoot a ton though his shots are under two per game which is kind of unfortunate but hitting way more than i would have thought for a 510 a left shot defenseman so well i just i just totally agree i think the upside is way higher with hudson and the fact that he's so young that would just seal it for me like i think he you know he's gonna have the determination he has the bloodlines i'm sure his brother is gonna give him some pointers he's gonna get tons of coaching and he's gonna go the college route which is gonna give him a lot of time to strengthen up and develop so this is pretty easy for me i would take hudson all right so my last one we're gonna go to some of the kind of lower and forwards here and talk about a couple of them so there's definitely some other defensemen that we could talk about that we didn't and if you like this exercise let us know maybe we'll do another one of these um because i i think that they're interesting kind of helps clarify your thoughts and give you some perspective on what's going on in the draft so the next two that i'm going to talk about is kind of guys in that 10 to 20 range so these two are trevor Connolly and Michael Brensig Nygaard. So Connolly is consolidated rank 16. He's down there as low as basically the tail end of the first round, 27th overall by uh, Kennedy 
and Sportsnet. And then as high, he's actually got a high, a high rank of, well, that's NHL Central Skating of five. So fifth North American skater, that's pretty high. And then Recruit ha- Scouting has him at 11. So some pretty decent ranks. TSN Bob McKenzie also has him at 11. Michael Brensig Nygaard is 12th consolidated, but also has a pretty big range, as low as 27 by Craig Button. He's the sixth central scouting for EU skaters and is 10th as the high, or sorry, seventh by Tony Ferrari. Uh, so he's got a pretty wide range too. So let's talk about Nygaard. He is a 6'1, 200 pound right wing. He's really old for this draft class. He's an October 5th birth date. He's Norwegian, in case you were wondering. And he's so he's already 18. He's going to be 18 this whole draft year. He's playing in Sweden. So some people might think he's Swedish, but he's Norwegian. And he's kind of close to that half point per game mark in the hockey Elspenskin. He plays for Mora IK. We did see him at the U20 World Junior Championships. He was on that Norwegian team that basically got throttled by everybody. They were not very good, but he was pretty good in that tournament. And so far, his hockey prospecting has him at 8% chance of being a star. For those of you that don't know, Byron kind of assigns a token 5% to everybody. So just a little bit above the token amount and 45% chance of being an NHLer. His NHL equivalency is pretty low. He actually did much better in last season in the J20 where he was dominant. Last season as a D-1 had 38 points in 35 games. And I think most people would say Branson Nygaard is a pretty complete two-way forward. You know, he's pretty responsible. He's a guy who probably could play in the NHL pretty soon just because he can handle all aspects of the game. You don't have to worry about big defensive deficiencies. But I'm not sure that the dynamic offensive ability is there, and that might be kind of the rub against him in fantasy. Trevor Connolly, on the other hand, so he's a six foot one, 161 left wing he's about to turn 18 as we record this he's a few weeks away february 28th and he plays for tri-city and the ushl 47 points in 33 games so pretty high production in the ushl for a draft eligible player and he's a he's a scorer he's got some pretty good playmaking as well but a lot of goals and that's what you can expect from him is some some more dynamic offensive abilities pretty fast good skater i think the one thing that should be said about him is that there are some off ice issues that have surfaced with Connolly. And I don't necessarily want to get into all the details, but apparently there was some social media posts that were potentially allegedly like some racist things that were alleged against him. He denied. So that all those off ice issues might scare some teams away. I'm sure during the combine and when they interview him, they'll get a better sense of what's going on with Trevor Connolly. But some teams uh, might have already made up their mind about him. So he might slide down the draft board just because of that. But it only takes one team to take him at, you know, 10, 11, 12. And then then he doesn't slide. But I think the on-ice package is that much more of an offensive scorer. So I think it's reasonable to think that Branzig Nygaard might go earlier just because he's a really complete two-way forward. But... For your fantasy leagues, I think Connolly has more upside, and his hockey prospecting is basically double the star potential of Branzig Nygaard. So that's what I would say. I would definitely take Trevor Connolly just because when you get in that 10 to 20 range, you got, you want guys that have big upside. And I don't know that Connolly's upside is huge, but he definitely 
you know, has the potential to be like a 60 plus point scorer in the NHL. And, you know, you want at least that when you're drafting in that range. So that's what I think about that, Pete. What do you think about Branzig Nygaard versus Trevor Connolly? Well, between those two options, I probably look for a third option. If I've got a, a pick in the in the teen range, I know the online scouting community and guys at EP really like Branzig Nygaard. I haven't seen a lot of them play. I watched for him at the World Juniors and I either didn't notice him or when I did, I wasn't particularly impressed. Sure, that's a small tournament and he was playing with a weak roster against elite competition. So, you know, you take all that as a into consideration. And, and not only does does Trevor Connolly have those off ice off ice issues you alluded to, he's also, you know, he's a highlight reel sort of player. He's got really good offensive skills he can make plays that are like ooh ah um, but he can be on the wrong side of the highlight reel as well uh, his defensive game is wanting so there's another reason to think he might be held out of at the nhl level if if he's incapable or unwilling to resolve any def- defensive deficiencies that he has so between the two of them i think nygaard would be my guy if those were the last two players in the draft if i had another option I'd probably look another way. So if you're ready to move on to my, my last pair, I'll tee that up. That would be Tijiginla versus Cole Iserman. So Iginla, we've talked about him a lot lately on the show. I'm, you can tell I'm a fan. He's ranked 15th overall in the consensus rankings, and he is trending up. I had him ranked 14th overall in the midseason fantasy ranking. He's got a nice high ceiling, sorry, a high floor but a, you know, a low risk, high reward kind of player. I think his chances of, of making the NHL are pretty strong. I'm not so sure he's going to be an elite offensive producer when he gets there, but he'll be producing a variety of points and playing minutes. Currently, he's on pace with 34 goals and 60 points through 45 games. So that's that's a pretty impressive point total playing in Kelowna. Uh, as we've mentioned before, he played in Seattle last year on an all-star team in his rookie season. So he's a little bit sheltered though. So now he's the man in Kelowna and he's having a breakout. Let's see his star probabilities are 20% with a 62% NHL upside. So, you know, all right, nothing too exciting there. And some of his comparables, you start with high end guys like Brad Richards, Ray Ferrero, Bobby Brink and Cody glass, Mike Comrie kind of cools off a little bit those are pretty reasonable comparables i'd say something promising to look forward to now you look at the counterpart in this scenario between him and cole eiserman eiserman's ranked higher he was ranked as high as number two going into this season by a a lot of people he's trending down his consensus is at 11 now and i had him ranked third in the mid-season fantasy ranking he's a he's a boomer bust kind of getting Cole Caulfield vibes from him, from Cole Caulfield's draft year. You know, Caulfield had a a bunch of red flags on his file, but he had a really big green checkered flag with how well he could shoot and score goals. And that's just what Iserman does. The guy's got 34 goals through 33 games. So right now he's pacing just over a goal a game pace with a total of 55 points through 33 games with the national team. His star probability is 72%, so significantly higher than Aginla's, with an NHL probability of 76% as well, slightly higher than Aginla's. His comps are Cavalier, 
Clayton Keller. You know, he's got some pretty good star potential. Now, kind of the reason why he's been sliding down draft rankings is because he's a one-trick prony. He scores goals. That's it. That's a pretty good trick, though. <laughs> if he can score goals like at a 40, 40 goal pace at the NHL or turn into, you know, kind of the equivalent of what Cole Caulfield is doing with Montreal and the NHL, then I'll take that all day long. Right. So as much as I love Iginla, and as much as he is trending in the right direction, and Cole Eiserman has got some red flags and he's trending in the wrong direction in his draft year, I'd still be hard pressed to take Iginla over Eiserman. What do you think about that, Victor? No, I think you're right. And I do think I would take either of these guys ahead of Connolly. So I definitely agree with that assessment, too. I think that Cole Eiserman is the classic picture of what we're talking about today. Better in fantasy than in real life. You want this guy on your fantasy team. And, you know, frankly, the reason I don't care about the risk reward so much is that if he completely flames out in a couple of years, he's just like not not an NHL prospect anymore. Like it's clear that he's not going to make it. You just drop it. You know, you move on. You fill you fill your prospect pool with someone else. But you're going to know relatively quickly about that because his goal scoring and the rest of his game is either going to translate or it's not because some of these guys score really well at one level, but they don't at others. I don't think that's Cole Eiserman at all. I think he's shown, I mean, especially scoring against the college teams, like that's not easy. <laughs> that's not, that's not just beating up on, you know, some grub USHL teams. I think his, his shot is clearly translatable, probably has the best shot in the draft. And like, that's going to translate. Like the, the fact that he needs to work on the rest of his game kind of reminds me a little bit of like Alex Holtz. Right. And Alex Holtz's draft year was like, he has a good shot, but like, what else does he do? And we have seen that continue to be an issue for Alex Holtz. Like, what does he do the 98% of the time of the game that he doesn't touch the puck? And it's not much and it's kind of ugly, but he's worked at it and he's got it better. And he's an NHLer. And I think that Cole is going to be, I think Cole's shot is even better than Holtz's. So he will have less to worry about in terms of getting to that point where he's you know, where it's acceptable. So I definitely love Tidge as a player. And I think that all the things that we talked about previously, just the the motivation and the constantly getting better and the fact that he's rising makes him a really exciting prospect. And I think that it, he's someone you should look at in this range. But I think you have to go with the goal scorer. And I think you have to go with Cole. And I, you know, I like what I've heard too. And we're going to hear more at at the combine and stuff, but it sounds like he's aware, like Scott said, he's aware of all these issues. He's working on rounding out his game, but it's also like the coach tells him, go stand over there and wait for the puck and score. So what are you going to do when you're really good at that one thing? <laughs> you're going to do it, right? So he does. he's not in a situation where he really needs to do all those other things, but I also think that when he gets to that point, it seems like he has the right attitude to work on it and to get there. And so what, what else can you ask for? Right. So, and I also like his feet. I think his feet are, I'm, I'm just sticking with this Alex Holtz reference. I think his feet and a lot of his hockey awareness is better than Holtz's. So I'm less worried about that becoming an issue. So yeah, definitely, definitely going with goal Iserman here. Yeah, me too. Maybe I could have to find a way where I get another pick and I could take both these guys. Cause I'd love to have them both. Well, that's all the comparables we have for for this episode. Uh, we're going to wrap this up just in time to watch the second game of the 
first night of the Beanpot tournament. Speaking of which, if you're into college hockey and you want to hear about how the Beanpot went and who stood out for that, we're going to have Russ Cohen on the show next week uh, to help us dissect what's happening tonight and next Monday in the Beanpot. So there'll be lots of lots of juicy nuggets there. If you have other ideas for the show, players you want us to talk about, topics you want us to cover, guests you would like us to invite on, please feel free to give us a shout. Reach out to us on Twitter, DPR underscore show, at Farling, at Victor Nuno 12, or at Sabrin91. And we'll do our best to make that happen. If you got questions for the show, we do a mailbag segment when we get some questions on. Shoot us uh, a message with your with your question. We'll do our best to answer it. So give us a give us a follow on Twitter. Don't forget to follow HockeyPodNet as well. There's a lot of other great shows on there. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the show. Give us a five star. Uh, we'll love you forever. That's it for today, everybody. Thanks for listening, and keep your stick on the ice. Is that goal regulation size or what? Gee! Let's do that hockey.